Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. Okay, that makes sense. Thank yeah. you. And, and it makes sense why we would want to file them. And with the small fee and everything, it's just a great way to get that date stamp um, so that when uh, the patent examiner goes to actually review our non-provisional application, uh, they can go back and look at that prior art. That's what I'm fighting right now is all the prior art that is in you know, my industry and is around my product um, my, my patent attorney is having to like go through and like adjust each claim just so, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh man. So whenever there's a lot of prior art, you do want to get, you want to get your stamp on it right away, get it, get it in there. Right. Um, so that's, but it's a great way to do that. So can we talk about the difference between design and utility patents? Because many people, um, fear utility patents because they take a long time, Right. And they say, okay, I just want to get to market. Um, and with the design patent, it can be approved pretty quickly. And, you know, it's, it's a cheaper process. It's not so involved. Um, and so, you know, what, is the, what are the main differences? Why, why should we consider one or the other? And which one is stronger? Okay. Well, a, a design patent is for the ornamental design of your product. And so it doesn't include function. It, you know, it doesn't include what types of materials go into the, um, into the product. It's really just for the shape of your product. And so a lot of people, you know, when they want to design patent, like, you know, they might want to say, well, I, I have magnets in mine. I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. Or, you know, mine, uh, you know, mine does this. I'm like, well, you, we can't put functional language in a design patent. A, a design patent, is really just a series of figures of a, a single design, right? And it's just a description of those figures. And it has one claim, the ornamental design for the widget as shown in the figures, that's it. <laughs> so they're pretty simple. That's why they're typically less costly and, um, you know, the, and they get examined more quickly. Now, when you do file a design patent, they are incredibly picky on the figures because those figures have to show very clearly uh, and definitely a particular design. So if there's variations between the figures, that's not going to fly. You know, if they can't really determine the exact shape of that product, you say you only file three figures, you're probably not going to get the design patent through because you can't tell the full shape of that product by three figures. So um, you know what I, I you know design patents are are great in certain situations, especially where the shape of the product you know, derives some benefit or is the valuable part of the, of the product. So for example, in my presentations, I'll use, it's called a rockabye mousetrap. So it's a mousetrap, you know, typically it has a flat wood base and then you have the spring and the lever and all that stuff. So in this particular design patent, they said, well, I'm gonna make my, the base of my mousetrap curved. So when the mouse gets on it, you know, it's going to start rocking back and forth and it's, and they're going to be off balance and it's going to make it more likely that they get slammed by the, the lever there. So, you know, there, that design patent showed a mousetrap, you know, you know, the proverbial mouse, mousetrap is a patent, you know, kind of icon, but uh, it had a rounded, you know, curved base. And so that was a great, um, that, that, so a design patent was a good option for that one. 
So got it because they, they didn't reinvent the function of the mouse no. wrap. Right. Well, kind of with the rockable base, but, but but they basically it's the same functionality. It's trapping a mouse, the same spring mechanism, yeah. all of that. But they changed the design of it so that it looks different and works different, and the shape of that mattered in the product design. So that's where a design patent was very strong for them. Is that's there an instant where is there an instance where a design patent is weak and people shouldn't consider using it? If you have a really complicated um... Yeah, so that was a good one because it's pretty simple. You, and, and one other thing about design patents is you can show um, kind of um, uh, ancillary parts of the product in dashed lines in your design patent drawing so that, you know, that's anything shown in dashed, even, evenly spaced dashed lines is not part of the claim dimension. And so whenever I do a design patent, I try to, I try to just take as much out and put it in dashed lines and just show the part that is providing the value. So in that case, like with the, the with that mousetrap, I would really just show the base, you know, kind of being um, curved, and then the rest of it I would kind of show in dashed lines because it, it you know, that, that part isn't really the design of that I'm concerned about. So a bad design patent is one that's a really really complicated product with lots of different uh, shapes and nooks and crannies and because, you know, it's pretty easy to get around that design. You know, if it's, if it's really complicated um, and, you know, if the shape of it doesn't really give you any value, you know, I'm not sure why you would do a design. So it's either- so if your here. competitor can just make a different shape then, and the shape right. solves no function for the product, right. then, you know, if it solves a function, then it's gonna be harder for a competitor to get around because, right. They're going to be like the rockabilly one. They wouldn't be able to just um, make it square, you know. I mean, like a, a boat bottom or something, because it's the same design essentially, and it wouldn't do them any good. So I love that example. That's really awesome. So what about the time to file a patent? Is there any way you mentioned a way to speed up the process? How do we do that? Well, let, let me first, let me finish on what the difference between design. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that was just the first part. So, so, so then a utility is a much stronger patent. That was, I think, your, one of your questions because a utility patent you can show multiple embodiments in one patent filing, and you can talk about the functionality. You can you, the claim could be to a system, and you can talk about the components and how they interact and. And you can, and those kind of the way they interact or the way they're configured with each other can be what makes it unique. You know, you can have component A, B, and C, which is well known in the art, but if you can figure them in a unique way and you describe that in your claim, you can get that, uh, you know, allowed. So a utility patent can be for the article. It can describe the, the article itself kind of physically. Uh, you know, it can be like a system. You can talk about the physical components and how they interact. It can be to a process of how you make something, or it can be to a method of using something. So there's a lot more options um, in a utility patent because you can, you can incorporate all those claims if you want, you can describe it different ways. And so, you know, a, a utility patent is determined, you know, in term, infringement, that, infringement that is, is determined by reading a claim and determining whether or not you have each of those elements like we just talked about. So they're much broader and stronger in terms of enforcement than a design patent, right? So um, so your next question was, how do we speed things up at the patent office? 
Well, you could be over 65. <laughs> oh, so old people get pressed. Do you hear that, Andy? We were just talking about getting old. This is great. <laughs> Ages of no, you know what? They they deserve it. And and uh, you know, honestly, you could just partner, like, you know, I'll, I'll call my dad and say, Hey dad, you want to be on my patent? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can do that. <laughs> I did have a client do that one time and say, Well, I just want to add my dad to it. I'm like, Well, was he an inventor? And he said, No, but he's over 65. I said, Well, that you can't do that. <laughs> so yeah, your inventorship has to be actually the Dang. I always I always like looking for the hacks. <laughs> right. So, so you'd be 65 and what yeah. else? You can Not do that yet. You track one uh, prioritized examination request. That's a thousand fifty dollars extra as a micro. Or you know, another option is um, you, you know, if you're going to file it internationally, you can file a PCT application first, um, which it stands for the um, Paris Convention Tre Treaty um, or Pat Patent Cooperation Treaty. Um, and so what, what a PCT is, it, it gives you a ticket to file internationally for up to 30 months from the filing date, your earliest filing date. So say you filed the PCT application first, you'd have 30 months from that standpoint to file in the US or Europe or Canada, wherever else you wanted to file. But you know, if you do file that first, you, they do what's called an international search and a written opinion on patentability. And they usually do that within six months. So- Yes, they're fast. They, <laughs> and they can sometimes help you, right? Yeah, they, they can help you a lot because if, if you get your written opinion back and they say, hey, all we find all claims to be meet the requirements for patentability, uh, which is novel, useful, and not obvious, then you can file it in the US with what's called a uh, patent uh, prosecution highway petition, PPH petition. And basically what you do with that petition is you say, hey, the, the, the PCT examining authority you know, in their written opinion, said we think this is a lot. This is this meets requirements for patentability. So why don't you just allow it too? <laughs> Basically, what you're saying. And so uh, they will examine it in an accelerated fashion in the U.S. And, and that PPH program is available in lots of other countries. And then you're and you're 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 much more likely to get an office action really quickly. And a much higher percentage of patents that are filed with a PPH petition are allowed versus the standard less than or around 50 percent being allowed. So that's another good option. It's a little bit more complicated, but if you definitely are going to file, you know, if you have a product that you definitely want some sort of international patent filings, you know, I, you might want to do the PCT first because then you're going to learn something right off the bat and then you can use that to your advantage uh, in terms of filing back into the U.S. So I, I, I always recommend that for people. And it are. also still holds your date too, right? It's still like a, a filing date thing. And then you've oh, got yeah. that 30 months and right. then you still have to file within that 30 months. You still have to file in whatever countries you're going to sell in, right? right. Whatever right. countries you, you plan to, um, you know, in, like usually it's like import and export countries are really good um, to, to file in. And those right. are going to incur additional costs and they may have additional filing requirements, but it's just, it's a really good option. So, um, cool. Um, what about products? So we talked about some of the different costs. There's various costs, there's various options. Um, right. and some ways to speed up the process Some different considerations. 
what about products that cannot be patented? What can't be patented? Was you have some examples to give us of like what we should not even be thinking about patenting? Yeah, well, there are some changes in the interpretation of patent law not too long ago. There was a Supreme Court case, um, Alice versus CLS Bank, and uh, there it was a, a patent. There's a litigation situation around uh, the, the the case, uh, the patent dealt with uh, transfer of funds and things of that nature. So the Supreme Court ended up reviewing this case and they said, well, we don't think there's any infringement here because we don't even think this is patentable subject matter. You're just talking about transactions and moving things around on a computer. And uh, they wrote up their opinions and it created this like bomb at the uh, USPTO because uh, then all of a sudden it's like, well, software, you know, software generically is not patentable. And at that time, there were lots and lots of app patents. You know, people had these different apps that they want to patent. And for the most part, apps are no longer patentable uh, because if you have a software that deals with, you know, taking in some input through the computer interface, it regurgitates it somehow and spits something else out to you, that is not patentable. You know, that that is just algorithms that, modified input data <laughs> that is not patentable alex as a, as a creator as a creator of software i'm not happy about that <laughs> yeah right yeah <laughs> i think and there should be a special class i think there should be a third class of of patents this is my just my personal opinion because you know these days exactly like you're saying is is that changed the game in terms of you know if i come out with something innovative in terms of the on the software front somebody can just go oh cool i'm gonna like you know pretty much either copy it verbatim you, you know, write it with my own code, of course, but copy it verbatim uh, or just, you know, just steal it, steal the idea. So anyway, sorry to inter interrupt, yeah. but I just wanted to get that out there. Yeah, it's, it, you're right. It, it really actually was a big problem for people. And I, I had clients in the situation where I had filed the patents uh, for them on these, basically algorithms and computer software type um, concepts prior to this ruling. And then I had to tell them, well, things change. Now it's not patentable. <laughs> you know, so it was, it was really tough for people in my industry trying to explain it to people who didn't understand. But, and it's, and it's also kind of weird for people who did have issued patents prior to this. And then now they're like, well, if I assert it against somebody, they're just going to take me to the PTAB and say, well, it's, uh, you know, it's not patentable. So you can't sue me for it anymore. So it's really a weird situation. Um, and, th and this ruling happened back in 2004. Um, and so they're still trying to kind of get their, the USPTO is trying to get their heads around, you know, how, you know, what, what aspects of computer software are patentable and what aren't. So I can tell you just uh, from my experience, if you have a computer software related uh, concept, if it interfaces with something physical, say, you know, a sensor or uh, in some cases, even GPS monitoring can be considered a you know, physical thing that's moving around that can make it patentable. But you know, say, say it interfaces with a sensor on a process line and then your software adjusts um, you know, something on, in the process line, then that certainly is still patentable because you still have physical components that are um, you know, outside, of the, um, uh, outside of the abstract uh, you know, convention. And so also if you have software that improves the computer itself, like if it's, uh, you know, what's the term for that? It's, uh, you would know as a software developer, it's code, like. Um, say that again. 
what what would the software that runs a computer what's that called that if it's oh, really the, the operating system or the 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 boot right. yeah the os yeah, so the operating system yeah. software that um you know makes it run faster or provide, provide some sort of new functionality to the computer in terms of what it can do that's also definitely still patentable but it sees again it's all these apps where you just are bringing in data you know, and, and spitting something out to somebody on the screen, that's unfortunately not patentable as of now. <laughs> it could change, yeah. not now. That, that is frustrating because that's one of the biggest thing in our inventor circles that we get, you know, is always, oh, I've got this software, I've got this. And it's like, oh man, sorry. Um, right. it, but the cool thing is with software, you know, if you are, if you are offering a really unique service or something, you can at least protect your code. And you know, you it's a, a great way at least to be able to protect your code and still bring something to market where if you make a product and you put it out there, it's much easier to reverse engineer, right? Um, although there's there's ways for software as well. But so I think we've we've covered just about everything. We have picked your brain for just about everything here. But we have one, I have one more question before, before Andy takes back over here. <laughs> um, when we have a patent pending status, right? So we filed our provisional and we get the notice that it's been filed and now we're patent pending. Like, what can we do with that? What have you seen people do with that? How do they use that, that status? Well, with patent pending, uh, you, you, there are requirements from the patent office to put people on notice that you're patent pending. And then once you your patent gets issued to um, put the public on notice that you know your product is patented. And if you don't do that, then you can lose um, rights to some of your damages because you know if people don't know that they're infringing and then how can you say, hey, well, pay me my money <laughs> for infringing if you didn't you know, go through the, you know, the steps to inform them. And so with patent pending, you are, um, you have a priority date set, and as long as you then later file, you know, the proper uh, patents, non-provisionals, or PCTs, or whatever it might be, within the right time frame, that priority date doesn't change. So whatever you, whatever made you patent pending, if somebody filed on that same thing uh, later, you're good. So that's what patent pending does. It also, you know, and some of my clients um, have products that are you know, they're, they're kind of me too-ish, I hate to say it. And so, and I'm, I'm very straightforward people. I'm like, the likelihood of you getting a patent on this is very small, <laughs> very low. Um, and they're like, well, I still want to be patent pending. I'm like, well, then you can file and be patent pending. And in this case, you may want to be patent pending for as long as possible so that it's a deterrent to competitors from, you know, knocking off your product. And so in those cases, instead of trying to accelerate it, we might want to delay it. So file it as a provisional, wait the full year, then file it as a regular application. Um, and then once you get to uh, examination, which is going to be two and a half years to three years from the date of filing the provisional, it, that whole prosecution period can be drug out at really as long as you want. <laughs> so you can be patent pending for a long, long time. And maybe that's enough time for you to get out and make a name for yourself in the marketplace and deter uh, competitors from um, you know trying to infringe, so that's that's what patent pending does. Yeah, I love 
other that, there's some that's an interesting use case that I've never heard of before. Uh, that that that's awesome. Going back to the international patents, so um, I know myself who have have uh, I have some inventions, I have some CAD designs. You know, I haven't quite uh, gotten to the point where I'm bringing it to market yet. But one of the biggest worries I know for me, and I'm sure for most people listening to this podcast who have some type of you know patentable or possibly patentable product. You know, the biggest worry is, is that, you know, you somehow publish it or it gets out and then, you know, somebody in China knocks it off immediately um, and starts producing it. So can you explain a little bit? I know that like in the U.S., um, I, uh, you know, you have the provisional patent, but I know that in some countries and I believe China, Germany, so, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. But once that product is displayed anywhere, even if you have a patent in the U.S. and you don't have one um, in those countries, that now uh, it's pretty much open game. I know that I've heard that a lot of people are going direct to China now and getting a patent there because you can get it fairly quickly and cheaply. Um, and then I've also heard Germany is kind of like a, a hack to get a patent within like six months. I guess their patent system moves a lot faster than ours. Um, you know, how, how does that work? And, you know, any intricacies there or any kind of hacks that you can use to, to um, make sure that, you know, the, the Chinese manufacturers don't see the product and just knock it off immediately? Well, um, you know, f- first of all, I want to comment on what you said about, uh, you know, filing in foreign countries, uh, if you publicly disclose it. The, if you publicly disclose your invention prior to filing, in the US, you still have one year to file, even if it's been publicly disclosed. The problem is if you publicly disclose it, and then somebody else sees your, your, you know, your blog or whatever it is you post it online, they can file it. And there's no way for you to track and, and show that they derive that from seeing your posting. And so, you know, if you file after they do, you're going to be second in the file. You're not going to get the patent. So that it's not a good idea to publicly disclose before you file, but you can publicly disclose and you still have one year to file in the U.S. And that's, you know, but it's not, I don't advise it. <laughs> and other countries, you know, Europe and most other countries have what's called an absolute novelty requirement, which means if you publicly disclosed it, you have just uh, waived your rights to file patent. So if you have a, a great idea that you think you might down the road want some sort of international patent uh, filings, do not publicly disclose it until you file at least provisional. Yeah. And so, um, and then your other- Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Continue. (laughs) Yeah. And I think your other question was about filing in foreign countries. Um, My experience with with China is that, you know, it's not that quick because a lot of these foreign countries, you can file a patent and then you can, um, you, you can up to five years, you can request examination. So, you, if, you, if you request examination really quickly, you're right, it's going to be processed pretty quickly. But most of my clients kind of wait a, a normal amount of time, which I think it ends up being two or three years from the date of filing in China, because they're really most concerned about the U.S. and, you know, they're not, they're not wanting to incur additional expenses before they need to in those foreign countries. And they're patent pending in those countries. So, you know, it's, it's, it's still something that should and you know, hopefully will turn into a patent. One other thing I did want to mention too is you can you can file a patent in the U.S. and file a non-publication request so that it never publishes unless it issues as a patent. And um, yeah, so if you want to be a pat if you want to be patent pending but you don't want people to know about your invention, that's an option. And so you could be patent pending for three five years, uh, and you're legally labeling your product. Uh, as patent pending because it's pending, but nobody can see it. 
you know, it's not a public publicly disclosed document. So, but if, if you're going to do a non-disclose uh, uh, request for non-publication, um, you can't file it internationally. So that's the rule. If you want to file in the U.S. only, you can do the non-publication request. But then, you know, if you do decide later, you know, that you want to file a PCT within a year, you got to rescind that um, uh, non-publication request. So. Uh, interesting. So in, in this case, all around, if you uh, out the get out of the gate, if you think that you're going to go international, you need that international protection, then the PCT is definitely the way to go. It sounds like just from the get go. Well, you, you, well, you can, yeah. And I, I do think that's the way to go in most situations. You can file provisional first and then one year file PCT. A lot of people do that too. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like, I, I'm, I'm with you. I like filing the PCT straight away. If, if their, their product's pretty well developed and they know they want international protection, then yeah, go right ahead and do the PCT. Right. What, one other quick thing that I'm interested in is because uh, my product, uh, one of my products falls into this category where, you know, somebody takes a product that's, you know, is, is used for, you know, so maybe uh, I'm just going to throw something out here, even though it won't make sense, but like, you know, a lawnmower, right? Somebody says, Oh, a lawnmower is cool, but uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to edit it and put a fan on it instead of a blade. It's going to look a little bit different and it's going to be a, a street cleaner, right? It's going to blow dust off the street or something like that. Um, how does that work in terms of, because it's a different, does a change in use case give you a better chance of getting a patent? Well, sometimes uh, like a method of use claim, if if you're using something that's very conventional, but but the use is really unique, um, you know, in that case, you're creating air movement and, and maybe that is really unique, but you know, when you're like, wow, I didn't, you know, we're taking this thing and flipping it upside down and it works great as this other device, you know, that's, you know, that's when you might think, hey, you know, method of using here might be the way to go because, you know, from an article standpoint, it's kind of the same, you know, or exactly the same components maybe and arranged the same way. Um, the way it's made is the same. So that's really your, your, your kind of final option. In some cases too, uh, you may have developed a unique article and also it's kind of a, a totally unique new product that the use has never been never been done before, right? So in that in that situation, you'd want to file both an article claim or system claim, and then also a method of use claim because when you do a method of using claim, you can um, there's something about uh, getting um, uh, royalties sooner because you don't have to put the public on notice because a method claim you can't put a label on it. <laughs> so, you know, if you're really interested in getting, um, uh, you know, as many dollars as you can from, from infringers, you know, method of use is also a good uh, idea for that reason. Awesome. Super interesting. Well, I, I know I learned a lot today. Um, Amy, anything else that you wanted to ask Alex before we go? No, I think I learned a lot too. Um, and hopefully this really helps folks uh, search for patents, understand what to do, understand the difference and the benefits of using a patent agent and a patent attorney, uh, and especially know when to ask for help. Because <laughs> that's like always the, the worst part is understanding um, when to invest and, and, you know, and ask for that help. So I think you've answered all those questions for us today, Alex, and we thank you so much for being here. Great. Hey, thanks for having me. I, I had a great time.
Alex, one last thing before you go. Um, we always like to ask this. Are you, uh, you know, if you're one of those people who, who likes to read business books or even inspirational self-help, anything like that, are you, uh, are, is there anything you're, you're into right now in, the, in that realm? Any podcasts, anything you're listening to right now? I read so much. I, I, as, soon, as soon as I get away from the computer, I go mountain biking. <laughs> All right. I like that. Good enough. So let people, know, uh, how they, <laughs> let people know how they can find you, Alex. Um, well, uh, my website is uh, inventiontopatent.com with hyphens between it. And I don't know if you post it up there, but uh, yeah, if you put invention to patent in the Google, um, it should be on the first page or second page. Um, and then my, my email address and my phone number are on there too. So it just pop in the, um, uh, get to the website and then you can reach me that way. Or I can get my number if you like too. Uh, well, that's up to you. Uh, you might you might get calls at you know three in the morning because from the international uh, audience. <laughs> oh, well, I do have an it's eight hundred six three four zero six zero five if if people you know have questions. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you so much, Alex. Really appreciate it. Everybody who's joined us live uh, as usual. Thank you guys so much uh, in the, in the, in the zoom meeting. If you haven't joined us yet, please do so every Tuesday, 1 PM Pacific. We record this with a live audience, uh, selleroundtable.com forward slash live. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so. If you uh, have the time, please uh, leave a star rating and a review. We really appreciate it. Even if you say we suck, we love that feedback. Uh, reach out anytime to Amy, or, Amy or I if you guys have any suggestions on what you want us to cover. We'd love to hear from you guys because we want to get you guys the content that you want to hear. And as usual, thank you guys so much. And we'll see you next time on the Sell Around Table. Thanks for tuning in. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com. Sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, sellerseo.com and amazingathome.com.